superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. I find it very hard to see the logic behind some of the moves you have made with this fine organization. This is the Rich Eisen Show. All right, here comes the judge. Aaron Judge. The Yankees want to give him 17 million. Judge wants 21 million. Hey, Yankees, 4 million bucks. How's got that in the ashtray? Earlier on the show, ESPN college basketball analyst Jay Billis, Eagles offensive tackle Lane Johnson, senior writer for Sports Illustrated Chris Mannix. Still to come, actor Michael Mando. And now, it's Rich Eisen. Hour number three of the Rich Eisen Show is on the air. One of our favorite television shows, Better Call Saul, um, here on our program that we keep talking about over and over and over again. Um, the man who plays Nacho Varga is in our green room right now. Michael Mando going to come on out here and talk some sports in our favorite TV show. Uh, Vince Gilligan, our first ever in-studio guest in the history of this program. Uh, it was almost eight years ago. This is eight years ago this fall that he was here, and he, if I'm not mistaken, was just leaving the writers' room to help start right season one of Better Call Saul. That was eight years ago, and now the final season of Better Call Saul hits the television screens on July 11th. The final six episodes of the sixth and final season starting uh, on Monday, July 11th. Trust me, I am already circling that on my calendar. Uh, Michael Mando is here on the Rich Eisen Show, and we have had a, a great chat so far with our, our friends Jay Billis and Chris Mannix about the NBA draft and Lane Johnson about the National Football League. If you missed any of their pearls of wisdom, including Jay Billis coming, uh, would you say a little cranky today? Uh uh, playful, cranky. playfully cranky. I, I, it, it feels like Jay was a little perturbed by the view from his hotel room. In That's Brooklyn, what he started with, and he started with that, and then it just kind of snowballed. Six there. story buildings is what he said. You could yeah, see yeah. from his place in uh, Brooklyn. I haven't spent a lot of time in Brooklyn, but I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, it definitely doesn't look out on the uh, skyline of New York City. There's a lot more than uh, just six-story buildings. Brooklyn's been really built up in the last like decade or so. So, so uh, Jay joined us with a, a bit more pertinent information uh, while slagging on pickleball as well. Uh, no, no, no that's loved, not what happened. Which I know you love too, no, uh, Chris. He just pointed out how great of a pickleball player 75-year-old Mike Krzyzewski is. No, and he also mentioned shuffleboard, which I'm sure Mike Krzyzewski doesn't do. So, <laughs> Does uh, Coach K have like a couple new hips and uh, back surgery? We've been taking phone calls uh, all day from our listeners chiming in on the subject matter inspired by this being the 38th anniversary of uh, the debut of uh, the premiere of uh, The Karate Kid. What fake sporting event would you have most like, liked to have uh, attended? Um, and the phone lo- phone lines are a little bit uh, are lit here, and we'll we'll take a, a couple of them shortly. Uh, Michael Mando uh, here in the Rich Eisen Show. T.J. Jefferson, you have been doing this for a few days now. The top player in the history of every franchise yes. in the National Football League. I know our friends at uh, 
pardon my take, of have fun this time of year. They call it uh, uh, Mount Rushmore Mount time Rushmore, of year because yeah, sports talk shows time. run out of things to talk about. Yep. And they come up with the Mount Rushmore of a sport or a team. You you just said we're taking three of those faces out. Just throwing them out, man. We're just going to one. There's no easy way out. One player. One. That's it. And um, yesterday you did the NFC South and you named Sam Mills as the Carolina Panther of choice, not Steve Smith, not even Luke Keekley or Cam Newton. They were all mentioned. You went Sam Mills and Brockman had a problem with not only that, also naming Deion Sanders as the number one Falcon and not Matt Ryan. That's okay. He's not a fan of either of those teams. So, uh, so right. which which yeah. division do you have today? Well, today, because we really had no direction when we started this, so today we're going to go with the AFC South. Okay. The NFL yeah. Films music is now playing, thanks to Jay Felly. Yeah. That means the floor is yours. Well, as you know, in the AFC South, we have four teams, and they are the Houston Texans. Yes. The Indianapolis Colts. Yes. Which I still can't figure out how they got there. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tennessee Titans. So... Right off the bat, we're going to kick this off. Indianapolis Colts, lots of great players. We'll talk about them later, but we're just going to give you the name. It's Peyton Manning, okay? He's he's my guy for the Colts. As for the Houston Texans, J.J. Watt. For the Jacksonville Jaguars, Fred Taylor. I heard you guys kind of discussing that this morning. Tennessee was tough, but I'm going to go with the MVP. I'm going to go with Aaron McNair. I'm going to go with Steve McNair as the number one player in the Tennessee Titans. Peyton Manning and Steve McNair were the co-MVPs of the NFL the first year we were on the air on NFL Network 2003 uh, when we were in Houston, interestingly enough, for our first Super Bowl that we covered. Correct. Brady's second Super Bowl win, beating Jake DeLome and the aforementioned Sam Mills, Carolina Panthers (laughs) uh, in uh, in that city of Houston. Um, you know, it was Peyton Manning and Steve McNair who showed up as the co-MVPs yeah. on NFL Total Access. We were jacked to have them both at the same time on live TV. You went J.J. Watt over Andre Johnson. That was a tough you? one. You know, uh, Andre Johnson, great receiver uh, in my fantasy football league. He's held in very high regards. Everybody in my league knows that. But, uh, you know, J.J., three-time defensive player of the year, kind of yeah. just gave him the nod over people like Andre Johnson. Arian Foster, another great Texan uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Dwayne Brown, many years on the offensive line. But I I think that J.J. Watt was the right call for the greatest player in Texans. Did you think at any point in time that the Colts organization also still has the records of the Baltimore Colts? Yes. Within their their world as well. That had John Unitas. He was right there, you know. There's a few others. There's a few others, a lot, you know. um, But many more. Another great Colt. But, I I mean, Peyton Manning is growing up. That was to us until Tom Brady went on this Super Bowl run for years. It was Peyton Manning's the best quarterback in the NFL. And, you know, I I have no problem with Fred Taylor, sir. As you know, that was the name that I mentioned before the show. Did you have another name and then heard me and then you were influenced by my No, I had Taylor, but Tony Baselli was up there. Unfortunately, you know, his career was only six seasons. Fred Taylor, you know, 11 years – 7,000-yard seasons, 11,000 yards rushing for that team in a very demanding position. So that gave Fred Taylor the edge in my eyes over uh, Tony Baselli. Also, Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith was really good. He was really good. Maurice Jones-Drew, our friend. Mark Brunel, Keenan McCardell. They've had some great players, but... Yeah, I remember Taylor. we used to do uh, uh, highlights back in the day on, on uh, the, uh, the the night highlight show on Sunday night with me, Dion, and, and Mooch. Jimmy Smith, I used to make some... Uh, 
some NYPD blue cracks, you know, for Jimmy Smith. <laughs> Jimmy Smith was really good, but Fred Taylor, oh, I think, yeah. is yeah, yeah, right. is the winner and champion right there. And again, with all due respect to Johnny Unitas, who I'm sure a lot of people will think, you know, I just gave gave the sheriff a little bit of a nod there over Johnny U. I think it's a great list. Uh, I feel like I came a little too hard at you yesterday, so I don't want to come that hard today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, would you, uh, what, what would you come hard at? I, I think about? the only one, I think, for, for the... For the Titans slash Oilers. Eddie George. Well, well oh, let me stop you real quick. Okay. Oh, so Earl Campbell is what you'd say? I would have went Bruce Matthews. Well, it's funny you said that because... You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. Oh, wow. Because of the long history of the Houston Oilers, you can't. Even, I decided that I was also going to recognize them. Oh. oh. And, you know, it was very tough when there were Warren Moon. There was yeah. Earl Campbell. Ray Childress, Mike Munchak, but, but I Bruce did go Matthews? with Bruce Matthews because, you know, back when I was in high school, guys, I wrote a story for my school paper about our offensive line, right? And the editor couldn't understand why I was writing about offensive linemen. And I'm like, they're the big uglies, nothing moves without them. They deserve their respect. And I ended up winning the first place award in the, for the Pennsylvania School Press Association. So I've got a little, you know. <laughs> Got a little soft spot for the big uglies, and that's why I want to recognize Bruce Matthews in his 19 seasons playing for the Texans slash Titans. So seven All Pros, 14 Pro Bowls. You could have do one more with the the Colts too. We could have. I mean, you could have done that. But, but they're still the Colts. They're still the Colts. 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 Right. I guess they were the Tennessee Oilers for a year. They or two. were. Don't look, you remember? I think they were the Memphis Oilers look, could, one year, look, too, Look, I could go right? back into the, their name the Pittsburgh Eagles, but, you know, I want to confuse people. You know what's amazing so. about Bruce, Bruce Matthews real quick? <laughs> Played he every made, position? He made three straight All-Pros at age 37, 38, 39. Also was All-Pro at right guard, center, and left guard. Yeah, he played every position on the line. Maybe the greatest lineman of all time. Yeah, I know. Definitely the most versatile. And the, the lineage of the league as well. I mean, yeah. you, so, okay, so just because they... Change the the name and the and the, the well, like logo. I, that's well, why like you're going to go DJ one more. DJ does a lot of weird things with lists. He's a big on ties. Like top five, he'll have okay. seven. I know. Yeah. I, know. I like to but do it's all good. Things my own way. I would have had him over Steve McNair, but who? Teams. Bruce Matthews yeah, over Steve McNair. I think so. As a Titan. Well, the history of the Titans slash Oilers. Okay. History of the Colts slash Colts. You know, I mean, yeah. There's a lot of old school folks out there. Say, remember Johnny Unitas and. And we do remember. And so, nice. it, it, so, so you're going Bruce Matthews as the Oiler. Isn't that a snub to Dan Pastorini? Uh, no, more a snub to Earl Campbell and Warren Moon. It was oh, okay. the three of them, and it was just the longevity. I just wanted to say the name. Of Bruce, I, know. I just Pastorini. wanted to say the name of Dan Pastorini. I but I, you know, I also want to give a shout out to Earl Campbell because for five seasons, nobody did yeah, it better he's, he's doing shout than outs. that guy. You should just say four names and have to. Stick I can't. To him. I can't just say four. Let names. us say some more. You know, names. Well, I haven't said anything in like two hours, so I figured I'd get it all in right now. You know. <laughs> <laughs> What's so I was greatest, intentionally quiet all the show. greatest event in the history of the Astrodome? <laughs> oh, let them play. For real or fake? Both. Fake is, you know, uh, thank you Bears, thank you Toros, let, and then let them play. Let them play. You know, as Enos Cabell and Bob Watson came out and helped chant in their breakout uniforms, while Bill Devane, who took over for <laughs> Buttermaker, um, was chanting, let them play in his sort of Gene Cousinow jacket. <laughs> Yeah, that's called Bad News Bears Breaking Training, folks. 
I mean, that's if you want to talk. But if you're talking about actual games in the Astrodome, choose anything from the 1986 NLCS, brother. And I'm sure no doubt had you on the edge of your seat wherever you were. I believe that that was the best moment in the I Astrodome. I mean, that Astrodome was in that, that series was insane. Game seven, 86. Let's go. Just uh, just don't ask Mike Scott for the baseball. You know that, right? A lot of scuffing. A lot of scuffing going on. Uh, let's go to D.C. and Carolina. What's going on? D.C., that's line three in Carolina. What's I up, D.C.? Game six, I mean, games. Hey, Rich. How's it going? Big what's go- fan. What's going on? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I wanted to talk about my favorite fictional sports moment that I wish I was at. Uh, the 2004 ADAA Championship for Dodgeball in Las Vegas uh, for the movie Dodgeball. Uh, average Joe's knocking off the heavily favored Globo Jim Purple Cobras. By the way, the 18th uh, anniversary of that movie was uh, happened the other day. 18 years, man. The really? Ocho's the Ocho turned 18. Yeah, God. the other day. Oh man. Yeah. Awesome movie. Uh, unprecedented double fault by White Goodman to force sudden death overtime. <laughs> And for the gamblers out there, 50 to 1 odds on uh, average Joes. How can you not take that in a championship game? Yep. Just love that. Thank you very much. Appreciate the call. <laughs> House got cleaned Dodgeball. out that day. House got cleaned out Dodgeball. That day. Chris in Los Angeles will take your call. What uh, fictional sporting event would you wish you were at? What's going on, Chris? Hey, fellas. How you doing? What's going on? Um, so, so, so this might be a little weird one. It's more more in the realm of historical fiction, I guess. But imagine you're there at Super Bowl X, and Robert Shaw comes running down the field. And you're like, what's this guy doing? He's running at a sprint. Oh, my God. And you look up, and, and Bruce Dern. He's in the Goodyear blimp. Blimp. Dive bombing into the stadium. You're like, what the heck is going on here? And out it goes to sea, and there's this giant. Just for the just for the story, I'd like to have been at the Super Bowl in Black. It's a, you know, it's a terrorist event. Why would you want to be into <laughs> that, Chris? Well, given the fact that it all worked out. Oh, okay. <laughs> hindsight. Oh, you're using 2020 hindsight is what you're saying, Chris. Exactly. Okay, very good. Thank you. I have that story to tell, you know, around the around the bar. And plus, you really wanted to go to the actual Super Bowl, which thank you for the call. By the way, Bruce Dern, who's been on this show multiple times, um, told us. You know, and it is, he confirmed for us, um, and everybody go to our YouTube stream, youtube.com slash Rich Eisenhower. We asked him about uh, Black Sunday on this show and the podcast version of this show that preceded our creation of this program uh, back on the NFL Network days from 2011 to 2014. They shot that at Super Bowl 10. Wow. They shot the real Super Bowl. And talk about this movie would never be made today. That a... An actual corporation, an actual product, an actual business lent its name and iconic aircraft to a film to re- to fictionalize a terrorist event at the Super Bowl. And the NFL said, OK, yeah, you fine. can shoot the Super Bowl yeah, and make a no. movie out of it. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> that would never happen today. Ever. No, sir. Never. I don't think the NFL would let anybody shoot a Super Bowl for any reason now for a movie, right? Could you imagine game on the line, somebody jumps out of bounds and hits a camera, and it's not an NFL Films camera. It's an actual film camera to shoot like some movie. You imagine? Expensive. 2004, Game 4 World Series. Uh, that... Uh 
Drew Barrymore, Jimmy Fallon. Oh, movie. that's right. They they were out celebrating on the field when the curse was broken. I, I still can't get over that. Well, that, that's a different <laughs> thing that you're they were there. Part of a celebration. The series is over. Dude, you know the number of times when I was covering um, the World Series and I could not get for for an, for the rights holder of the radio rights. I was working for ESPN Radio, the rights holders of the World Series for radio. John Miller and Joe Morgan did the play-by-play and a- analysis of that. The ESPN put their number one TV tandem in the booth for that. Number of times I did not, I did not get the interview I needed right away because... Why is the name escaping me? The guy who, the uh, stage manager from Letterman Show. Oh, Biff. Biff <laughs> was on the field. Yeah. Biff was interviewing Bernie Williams. I couldn't get to Bernie yet because Biff was there with his headset on. Yeah. Biff Henderson? Yeah, Biff Henderson. was. He got credentialed. He was on the field. I couldn't do my job. I couldn't do my work. He's a famous Biff. line. Wow. Uh, you know, <laughs> so after the game's over, that's one thing. But this guy wants to be at Black Sunday. What did that? Now that I didn't expect that one. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. We love Better Call Saul, and excited to meet this man because his work in it fantastic. He plays the role of Nacho Varga, and uh, fans also of Orphan Black will know this man as well. Michael Mando, when we come back in person. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Michael Mando here on the Rich Eisen Show. Welcome back to our terrestrial radio audience. The last six episodes of the sixth and final season of Better Call Saul starting Monday, July 11th at 9 Eastern time. The man who plays Nacho Varga is here, and we just saw an incredible clip of you going underneath. Was that truly oil? Was that the real no, deal? No, that wasn't. Actually, if, on my Instagram, I posted a behind-the-scene uh-huh. video of what it is, and the guy explains it's a, it's a vegetable-based. It's like a milkshake. You can actually drink it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a milkshake-based thing. And you, in, in the video, he explains the whole thing. I can't remember exactly what it is, but I, I've put it up on my Instagram. I thought fans would love it, and people keep asking me, you know, what is that stuff? What is that? Right. I loved And there was a lot of symbolism to it, too. You know, it was about a guy who was... That, ep- that whole episode, Rock in a Hard Place, directed and written by Gordon Smith, mm-hmm. who does a fantastic job. It's one of my favorite episodes of the whole show. And... Um, he basically, the symbolism of it is he, he enters through the darkest 
um, the belly of the whale, you know, in like the Joseph Campbell mm-hmm. kind of like monomyth. He enters the belly of the whale and he loses everything. And then he comes back and purifies himself and then has no, no desire for money or anything material and is then willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. So there's a lot of symbolism in that episode. So when did you first hear about Better Call Saul, Michael? You know, when did it's that a, first it, hit you? Yeah, it's a funny story. I, I, hadn't, I don't watch a lot of TV generally, and I hadn't seen Breaking Bad. I walked into my father at the time, God bless his soul, was watching uh, the last two episodes of Breaking Bad. And I remember making a sandwich and keeping an eye on the TV and going, God, this is good. And I remember the name Vince Gilligan at the end of every episode. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a life is mysterious in that sense. Two weeks later, I have an audition. And I'm in Canada, right? So it's rare to audition for something big in, in the States. And the name Vince Gilligan was on it. And I, I felt immediately like this, this is a really meaningful audition. I did the tape. My friend left. I was supposed to, I had a deadline to send it. And I realized there was no sound in the audition. So I had to call him back at like five in the morning Come and be on, like, man. yeah, I got, I got you. We got to tape this again. So we taped it again, sent it. And I was lucky they called me in for um, a screen test. And from there, you know, I ended up getting the part. OK, so let's just uh, rewind a little <laughs> bit here. So you started watching Breaking Bad towards the end of its run. Is that what you're saying? That's I when you accidentally first walked in. It's like imagine, you know, I go into you go, you're invited at someone's house yeah. and then they're watching it. And that's how you discover it. Your they just dad happened was to, watching it? He was watching the last two episodes, yeah. And I, I saw the last two episodes and I said, this is a great show. Yeah, but I mean, that, did you go back and watch the the rest of it? Of or? course, yes. Okay. Once, once you got your gig? Or, once, or once I knew they were interested in me, I, I, I wanted to do the research. Yeah. So I, I started watching it. By the time I did the screen test and I was in L.A. and I met Vince and Peter and Melissa Bernstein, yes. I was at season three. By the time I was cast, I had seen the whole thing, and I had a book full of notes, and I was like, this is good. This is this is like the pinnacle of anything I've ever seen. So now, I was, yeah. Now we we're we're huge aficionados of this, and Vince Gilligan was the first in studio I heard, guest in the history I heard, of this show. Yeah. And because you know I I'm I I was a diehard of Breaking Bad from the get go. Mm-hmm. I mean from the absolute get go, and uh, I knew who Vince Gilligan was. Right. And I fanboyed him in an air in an airport right here, LAX. Right. Fanboy walked up. To Everybody him. fanboys Vince Gilligan. He, he's not a sports fan. He had no idea who I was at all. Yeah. But I invited him to come on my podcast because I was such a huge fan of the show. I just took you know I took a shot. Yeah. He said yes, and he came on. And this was right after Breaking Bad ended, so probably about a month after you first surfed into your watch your your dad watching the final oh, wow, two episodes. Okay. Right around then, and yeah. so I we we gave him a huge like an exit interview, right? Like about a million questions about Breaking Bad, yeah, and, and nonstop, nonstop. Yeah. But I bring all that up to say that we're we're huge aficionados, and there was only you say one time, Chris, in the history of Breaking Bad that your character Nacho got mentioned, right? Just one time, right? One Is time. That it? It's the first time we ever meet Saul, actually. He's uh, kind of in the desert with Walt and Jesse, and, and uh, Saul wonders, did Nacho send you? Was it Lalo? Yes. And then that's it. Did Ignacio, you? he goes, did Ignacio send you? Yeah. Oh, my God, please, please, please. I, I, I had nothing to do with it. It was, it was Ignacio. He's the one. Isn't that amazing? That- yeah. So does that mean... Does that mean then... I don't know if you've had a conversation. Did, they, did, did Vince and, and Peter Gould... 
sit down and and say that one time we threw that out? Did did they know of your character? Like in so the I middle of Breaking Bad? From my one? understanding of it was at the time it they weren't sure what it meant. Right. And then when they were doing Better Call Saul, my character in the in the um audition and even when I was cast, I think initially was named Eddie. So that you they give you dummy sides. They're not real sides from the show, but they okay. they, they want to know your they want to understand the dynamic. So I was reading with a Saul type character, but the scene had nothing. It had to do with a external drive. I think it was written by um, one of the uh, assistant writers or something like that. Yes. And then when you got cast, after you get cast, they announce your character's name, and they announce my character's name is Nacho. Now Nacho is short for Ignacio, and I think after season one or two, they committed to the idea that that was who we, they were talking about. It, it, I mean, it's amazing the way they do it. They go back and forth with so many, so much detail. There's so much attention to every camera shot, every word. I, I really think, you know, to me, it's it's one of the most um, cinematic shows that I've ever seen in the history of film or TV. It's art. Yeah, it really is. Everything is deliberate. Every camera angle is deliberate. Every costume, every color. I was so blessed and fortunate to learn so much on that show i've got michael mando here on the rich eisen show playing nacho varga in better call saul we've had um uh, a whole host of uh your colleagues from the history of better call saul and also breaking bad here uh giancarlo esposito coming here and he right. said um some of the scenes that he was asked to do that he would have to go to a dark place Okay. And that he would have to, you know, really kind of. I think I saw that interview. Yeah, where he really, he, 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 <clears throat> would, he would really have to go to a dark place and then take some time yeah. after a scene was over. Did you have a similar experience with some of the scenes that you were asked to do in this show? You know, show? the character, honestly, I mean, to speak all frankly, was very was, heavy. It was very heavy to carry around. It was like the guy was just trying so desperately to get out of the cartel. And the harder he tried, the more they pulled him in. And the more they pulled him in, that they started threatening his father, his father's life. And his whole thing became about wanting to do the right thing and wanting to protect somebody that he loved that was completely innocent. You know, so clean. Wouldn't even upsell Mike Ermintrout, you know, in like season two. Mm -hmm. And um, it was twice as hard because at the time, to where, towards the end, my father was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of these kind of like existential moments where you're going... I'm trying to save my father's life on a show and I can't save my father in real life. Come on. And it was just, it was hard. It was, re it was honestly really, really hard for a few years. And it was like, but it was, that's what you, I think it's like, um, that's what you live for because you go, this is, this is what will make me what I want to be. This is the kind of things that I, will help me bring my art to life and life to art and deeper, a de have a deeper understanding of what it is that I'm doing. And after my father passed after season five, season six was the first time I ever got in front of the camera and my father wasn't around. And, and you could feel the energy shift, you know, in that character and, and in me. And you go, wow, you know, essentially, I think art is there to inform life. And life is there to inform art. And that was the perfect crossover between the two. Well, I think the scenes where you and your fictional father in the, in the, uh, in the show... Yeah. Um, where you know he your 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 father on the show 
is a straight up, straight arrow, great American, yeah. great citizen, Thank hardworking, you. Yes, blue Juan Carlos Cantu, yeah. Okay, and so your scenes with him where he knows you're kind of in trouble, he wants to help you out, but he also knows you're kind of lost. And in a way, he's also being threatened. And you know the threat that he's under and you're trying to save him. I'm sitting there watching this with my wife and I'm feel I feel it. I feel it through the television set. Yeah. And now I know the backstory. It's kind of moving for me to even hear that, Michael. Yeah, you know? thank you. It, it was it was it, Juan Carlos Cantu, shout out to him. He's a wonderful actor. And those scenes were so well written by Gordon Smith, especially in that last step, that last 603, you know. Yes. And it was so interesting because when you read the script, they barely say anything. Like the the way it's it, it's so it's mm -hmm. so circumstantial, you know. Like the emotion comes out of the silences, not of what is being said, and that was a, a just an unbelievable experience. And um, yeah, it was that, that was a tough one. That was a tough one to shoot. Michael yeah. Mando here uh, on the Rich Eisen show. So uh, we have a, a little bit of a lighter side to take your character. <laughs> Good, right now, yeah. Okay, <laughs> we just got really deep here, but just to show you, we're 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 diehard fans of this program. Are uh, are uh, Digital producer put this all together, um, Sean Mitchell, one of our top our top notch producers here on the Rich Eisen Show, um, coming up with the alternative outcomes for your character, Nacho. Okay, Fargo, great. If you okay. got out of the vacuum, opens shop. a Nacho restaurant. Okay, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we have three of them, right, uh, Mike Hoskins? You want to put the the first one is uh, you become the man. Nacho becomes a man. You tell us which one you like best. Okay. Uh, becomes the manager of a Nebraska mall hot dog on a stick directly across from the Cinnabon. That's what we got right there for you. What do you, what do you think? You I like it. I like the swag, and I, I find. I, I, well, well, let's see what else there okay, is. Let's, That's a possibility. It's a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, here we go. Um, next up, which one do we have here? Okay. <laughs> Tell me if you like this one here. Okay. Uh, you live out your days in Pocatello, Idaho. As a pharmacist who always gets the doses right. What do you think? Right okay. There. I think mother would be prouder of this guy. He sounds like he's got to, he pays his taxes on time. Okay. Okay. We'll see. All we'll right. see. I okay. mean, I like them both. I okay. like them both. Okay. The other uh, one has more friends though. Okay. Here's the last one. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this has already been done as a show, but we'll see. Uh, you're the hotel manager at a Maui resort uh, where you've outlawed the use of, of call bells at the main desk. <laughs> Where I'm you a manager at the, uh, at the at a Maui hotel, but you cannot ring the call bell because it it just sets you off anytime oh, you hear I see. the ding. Of the, no bells. Yeah, no yeah, no, no bells no allowed bells. at the desk. If there was a bell, I'd go with that. I'd love to ding that every time I oh, ding so it. You want oh, you the bell? Oh, really? We yeah. thought we thought it would be too disturbing nah, for nah, Nacho, Nacho to, to hear up, the bell. No, he. I mean, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! <laughs> he goes up on top, man. He's got no fear. Nobody at the end. <laughs> well, this is the alternative. Get the bell in a bucket of chicken. You know, <laughs> you've already been through the he's, oil, man. You've been through. At the end, experience. he's not scared of anybody. He just uh, he's he. You know, he knows exactly what he wants to do, and he transcends all those. But we're th this whole game. We're assuming that you get away, yeah, and you go see the vacuum. No, I get man. it. Yeah, get okay. It. Yeah, you go see the vacuum man. I would say, um, you know, I like the hot dog. I like the hot dog. Oh, you know why? Because the people, you and the people the around them are smiling, and it yeah, just can we looks see like that one more? There it is. <laughs> but you still yeah. have sort of that intense look about yeah. you there, Michael. Yeah, I mean, think? it looks like he's got a side business too. 
<laughs> but he looks like he's in a good place. Is what you're saying? I don't know what he's doing, but he looks like he's in a good place. He's selling nickel bags in the but parking it, lot. No, but again, he's across. He's across from the Cinnabon at the Nebraska Mall. Yeah, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So him and Gene just hanging out. Gene, yeah. that's right. It's Gene. It's not. You know Saul, what? Actually, Gene. I'm going to go with Gene. the pharmacist. Okay, I'm going to go with. Let's do the pharmacist. He's but, a pharmacist. He's cleaned up. Pharmacist and by he's day and married, night. and he's got beautiful kids and a dog. And yes, yeah, but oddly enough, you always get the dose right. <laughs> always gets, yeah, he always gets it right. And the, although one particular guy who pissed you off, you 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 put uh, you put a different medicine in there. Could we do that too? Nice. You know? Yeah. I just love that 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 that's the, the pill switch scene in in six oh six oh eight. Right. No, I what is it three oh eight? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. What an incredible actor he is, too, right? Mark is is fantastic. Mark you know, Margolis. Mark Margolis. Shout out to Mark. At the end of the of the shoot, he said to me, uh, "I really didn't want to like you, but I do." <laughs> he said you that to me it, right before exiting the the honey wagon uh, of the um, where we do our makeup. It was the last thing he said to me. He said, "I." I really didn't want to like your character, but I do. Oh, I thought you meant as a person. Like, no, no, like, no. In my character. I mean, Mark is 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 a is a fantastic actor and a really really beautiful person. I mean, he just says what he thinks, and you never know what he's going to say. And that to me was like the highest compliment coming from him. He doesn't throw away words like that, you know, easily. Yeah. And I, I just felt so proud because he said that. Well, I got to be honest, and I know you really can't give away anything. No. Um, do you know how it ends? Yeah. Okay. Um, but your, what happens to your character, in my mind, mm -hmm. does not bode well, because we've had Patrick Fabian on this program right. again. Shout and out so, to Patrick, yes. So we had, uh, hey, Patrick, hey, buddy. You know, we got to we go had, to the beach this weekend. We had, uh, <laughs> oh, let's do it. Oh, we, can, we can record it. Uh, you know, that uh, the, uh, we, I, actually, if I'm not mistaken, I have the HHM pen that, uh, that he gave me oh. when he was here last time, not to, to make you feel any pressure that <laughs> if you brought anything. Um, but, you know, Mr. Hamlin of Hamlin, Hamlin and McGill, he doesn't make it. And anybody who we've seen in this show, who we don't eventually see in Breaking Bad, meets a very uh, untimely end and... Can you just at least tell me if that is consistent or it is inconsistent? <clears throat> well, here's what or... I can tell you. That final scene where Nacho does his soliloquy and, and really speaks his, his mind. He yes. speaks truth to evil, you know. Yes. Um, everybody in that scene is dead. They just don't know it yet. Every yeah. single person. Mike, Gus, yeah. the twins, you know, the uh, Jeremiah and, and uh, race characters. Yeah. Giancarlo. Everybody's dead. And they're there to watch the first man die. And they just don't and know I never yet. Thought of oh, my God. And, he, and, and he comes in. Did they, and, do, and that on, did they do that on purpose? I mean, did they do that on purpose? You know, and here's another thing, that too. Stuff, man. That, that, that's where uh, Hector, uh, Mike had a clean shot and didn't to kill uh, Hector and didn't because Nacho was standing in the way in season, I think, two or one, mm -hmm. at the end of season two. And, and there was a, a, an innocent, not an innocent, there was a cartel guy who got killed because Mike, mm -hmm. Mike did something that he shouldn't have done. And Hector want, blamed the, the driver. And I go to Mike and I go, look what you did. You know, we're going to watch this guy die. And the guy comes out screaming and kicking and, and doesn't want to get killed. It was just so interesting to flip that and then have Nacho be there for his final moment and go out the way he did, kind of wow. like 
fearless. You know? Way to give me an answer and also give me something without giving me the answer to the question I actually asked. I think that was very interesting maneuver on your part, Michael Mandel. Well, you know, you can't give away any spoilers. I know, right? <laughs> but it does, again, those characters that we're seeing in Better Call Saul that aren't there. And it's interesting, Patrick Fabian gave us a little head fake when he was here last time. He goes, I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, some of these characters, maybe... You know, Saul is married in Better Call Saul, and we just don't see her, yeah, his home right, life. Right. Everything's open. Like, I mean, it's a it's a mythology. It's yeah. a saga. You know, I mean, it really is like I don't want to you know say something out of place, but it's like the it's like our Omer Odyssey. You know, it's like it's like that. It's mm. to me, it's that Breaking Bad world is that big. It's got all these incredible characters, and they're all mythological in some way, and they they have very clear iconographies. You know, like Nacho to me represents kind of like true love and, and sacrifice in a way he's like a romantic figure you know and you can like it's like a tarot card you can hold it and go oh that's huh. that's sacrifice that's this that's that and they're just um what an unbelievable show hats off to vincent peter no question about it all right you want a tony dalton story before we gotta, we go we gotta out, have right? one speaking of, speaking of mythological characters like this guy lalo has come in the last two seasons and it's just taken over like how great is it working with Tony Dalton? Has been awesome. On it was show. amazing, man. Everybody on that show brings in so so much, and I think Vincent Peter set it up really nice so that when Lalo came in, they wanted a character that sort of just didn't abide by the rules that were established. Right, and that sort of put like a, a wrench in the in the wheel on purpose. And Tony and I became really close. You know, we had great talks, late night talks. You know, over the weekend. And got to know each other a lot, and talk. And he he introduced me to stuff that I um, huh? that I can't talk about on TV. That oh, was really, no. really great stuff. No, really smart guy, very smart guy, very kind guy. And it was really great to have him on the show. And is that before or after you hit him with a pan? Did I didn't hit him, hit him with a pan. He, he hits the he hits the. Um, oh, somebody he, hit him. I'm trying to remember. He hits, that no, scene. he hits the. Um, or oh, you try to assassinate oh, the guys him. One, who of the, were one of the assassination. Oh, guys. Yeah, I messed yeah, yeah. up that scene. But you did, you, you did try to take him out. I mean, there's no doubt. Well, about I mean, these, the family has no respect for you. When someone has no respect for you, there's no such thing as loyalty, right? You can only be loyal to somebody that respects you. And the Salamancas don't respect anybody but themselves. You know, it's like they, when someone's life is in jeopardy, they, they think it's funny. So when someone treats you with disrespect, then the, the question of loyalty is not on the table. I mean, in terms of the characters, you know what I mean? So I don't, I don't see it as like... Uh, I don't think Nacho did anything wrong when you don't respect somebody and you don't care for their lives or their parents' lives. You know, Hector threatens his father's yes. life. Yeah, I know. So you go, you know, it's terrible. if you don't care whether I live or not, why would I, what am I, what is there to be loyal about? Lalo, remember, kept a guy just who looked like him off just like in wait because he knew he was going to have to fake his own death at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Gus does the same thing. Gus has a, has a, like the, uh, like doppel, doppelganger, is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Living right next door. Yeah. Pays money and goes, hey, you can live a good life, but at some point you might. Yeah, you might have to sit in for me. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> hey, man, you're great. You're great. Uh, if this, if you had been on this show about five years ago, it would have bent your ear about Orphan Black. <laughs> but we're we're just we're so locked in on on Better Call Saul. Congrats on everything that you've done in your career. 
Thank you. And you deserve all the, the kudos and accolades that come your way, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And then we'll talk some hoops next time you come on. I know I'd you're, love a, fan, to, you're yes. a fan of basketball. But the last <laughs> six episodes of the sixth and final season of Better Call Saul start airing Monday, July 11th. I have that circled on my calendar. That is for darn sure. Well, we are back uh, to wrap up the show and get you set for the rest of the week in a moment. Rogue ST drivers are ready for you to go check out and use because this particular stick is, in fact, what the company from Callaway says it is. Every golf equipment company claims to be longer off the tee. Callaway's new Rogue ST driver, though, is the one, only one, built to completely bomb it. Speed tuned to be Callaway's fastest, most stable driver ever most golfers will fit into the offering called the max because of its incredible combination of distance and forgiveness the max d is their dedicated draw model for players who need more shot shape correction if you want something more low spin there's the max ls which gives you a stronger trajectory with a more neutral ball flight but for the true players out there the rogue st triple diamond ls that's the low spin compact head that the Tour players love Callaway's thought through every aspect of speed. So all you've got to do is go rogue. Find your rogue SC driver at CallawayGolf.com slash go rogue. That was, a little, that was just a, a treat ah, right there. Love that guy. He's so good. So good. And I just love how deep he, you know, I, I know that they're, you know, he's a professional um, thespian actor, but I mean, he's so deep in, in his character. He's like defending Nacho's behavior, you know? I think he. I don't think he did anything wrong. <laughs> That's right. That's what he said <laughs> at the end. And great point. The Salamancas don't respect anyone, right? So. Hector Salamanca. Why should he be loyal to them? He's ah. the one who put Salamanca in that wheelchair. Mm-hmm. You know. He did. What a story. Great. Um, so today we've been asking uh, all of all y'all. To call in if you want and tell us the fictional sporting event that you'd want to go to and be at. Uh, in honor of the 38th anniversary of The Karate Kid, which is... Uh, do people call it a sports movie? Do they really call it a sports movie? I don't know. Like, I like guess... what's your favorite sports movie and you name The Karate Kid when uh... the, the only thing that's an actual sport or is the event at the end that, that we're, we're playing off of for today's construct? You know? Well, they have a little beach soccer game going on. Uh, too, that's true so, too. You know, there's that. That's true too, which Elizabeth Shue mentioned. Called a Halloween movie. It was a great, you know, costume, Halloween. Costume yeah. So it's a great bike movie too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so we asked uh, you, you folks to to call in. Last couple calls here on the Rich Eisen show. Uh, Bruce in Kentucky, you're here on the program. What's up, Bruce? Hi, Rich. Uh, glad to be talking to you again. Yeah, good to uh, chat. My, with you. my my favorite was uh, Bring It On. Bruce, you got to finish the sentence now. Uh, what, what, that's the Come that's the, the sporting event you'd want to. Is it is it because of the cheerleaders? Is that what it is? Bruce? Oh yeah, baby. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Kirsten Dunst, Elijah Dushku, Gabriel Union. Okay. Come on now. Come okay. On. So um, I assume. You'd you'd want a good seat for that uh, for that event, right? You wouldn't want to be sitting in the rafters. Is what you're saying, Bruce? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, hey, listen, and and the reason I call that a sport <laughs> is I have two granddaughters that are competitive cheerleading, okay. and they've had as many broken bones as a professional football player. So okay. That, that's a sport, dude. Okay, man. Thanks for the call, Bruce. Greatly appreciate it. Bruce is a real one, man. Slow clap for Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> 
Nobody mentioned Lucas yet. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't think these people know Lucas. I don't know. I don't know. Isn't that? I, I know. I know you. I, yeah. see, you know I know Lucas. Lucas, is that a sports movie? Well, I mean, it takes place around a football team, so kind of. Randall in Seattle, Washington. Shout out this, to Corey Haynes. What's up, Randall? Hey, Rich. Can you hear me okay? I can indeed. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, so a couple things. Uh, so the place, I would, the fictional place I would like to be at is Roy Munson versus Ernie McCracken Big Ern. in the bowling tournament yes. of uh, a lifetime. And uh, <laughs> secondarily, um, whatever ha- I used to, I'm aging myself, but whatever happened to watching pro bowling on TV on wide world sports? Oh, I remember Chris Saturday. Schenkel was doing the play-by-play. Chris Schenkel would do the play-by-play and the pro bowlers tour. Oh, yeah, man. I remember that yeah. back in the day. And and, yeah. and uh, Earl Anthony would take the, the bowling ball and you'd spin it and you'd hear, you'd hear like the pop of the thumb coming out of the bowling ball and then the rumble down yeah. and then the splash. Splash the pins. That that's a childhood memory of mine, and and it's in, that, yeah, that's that's what Kingpin was playing lastly, off of. And lastly, DJ D's nuts uh, has been Munson. There you go. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. Well done. That's a that's Randall. Well done. You remember, Rich? I told you I was in Kingpin. <laughs> this is this really? is probably like a year and a half ago. You might have forgotten. Ashton. No, this is living in Pittsburgh. I was an extra in Kingpin. And remember Brockman, you and I just talked about this. You just said the other day. Yeah. I told you I still didn't. I never cashed my check from like 1996 or whatever. How'd you get involved in Kingpin? Just, I was, you know, living what, in the Pittsburgh. the Farley brothers were yeah, just casting? Just extras and, casting. So which one were you in? The, the disco one at the beginning? Or? I was in the scene where Randy Quaid was stripping. It was in the strip club. And then I got to do the conga line behind Vanessa Angel. But the scene got cut out the movie. Ah, so you're not uh, actually so you're not in, in it. Kingpin. So we can't like rent you Kingpin and see T.J. Jefferson. But I, like I said, I still have my check uncashed for whatever reason. I never cashed it. How much was your check? Oh, there yeah, it is. Holy cow! He still had that. Thirty-one thirty-eight. Thirty-one thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Okay. Yes. You haven't cashed it. I mean, it was void after 180 days. So yeah, it's and, it, and, the, and the date is uh, the. October 17th, 1995. Yeah. Should we, should we celebrate uh, every October yes, 17th? Like Bobby Bonilla Day? Like Bobby. <laughs> Wait, so hold on. Like Bobby Bonilla Day. Probably yes. Your, your extra night. rate was like four twenty-five an hour? Terrible, right? That's minimum wage back in 95, I think, right? Oh, yeah. I yeah, I guess. Well, I was making minimum. No, it's a little bit less. That's less. Because I was making minimum wage just about my first TV job yeah, at Redding, California. Time. I was making six twenty an hour. Four seventy five, I think, was minimum wage. But look, man, I would have done that for free. So probably, you probably spent more money yeah, there. You did yeah. work for free because you didn't cash it. <laughs> it's a very good point, Chris. <laughs> big, Excellent point, Brock. When big I did Earn McCracken <laughs> is way down, too low down on the list of great Bill Murray characters. And I understand the Caddyshack gets mentioned. and It's his you own know, fault. Strikes, no, meatballs. Is, yeah, I watched and, meatballs and, last night, by the way, Rich. If you guys wow. are meatballs fans. Yeah. Big Earn McCracken, man. With that big, huge <laughs> comb over. over. In his bowling ball with I, the rose in it. it. I want yeah. the bowling ball. <laughs> Great idea, guys. Great idea, guys. Well Good done. one, Brock. Well done, everybody. Well Bigger. done, everybody. Everything about that movie's aged well except Randy Quaid. <laughs> That'll wrap it up for this edition of The Rich Eisen Show. Knock that right in. <laughs>